Happy Friday, guys, and you thought I thought you thought I forgot about you, but I didn't. Bill Team, we're back with another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. On today's episode, I got Alex Arredondo from Flat 4 Media. He stopped into the studio and we recorded a podcast because I know you guys like that good sound quality. We can only get the best sound quality in the studio. So remember, if you're shooting through Vegas, hit me up at letstalkdubs.com, bill at letstalkdubs.com, and let me know you'll be in town. Maybe we'll set up a podcast if you're a VW enthusiast and you're coming through town and you want to get on the podcast. Also, don't forget, guys, check out the Vintage Wholesaling Club of America. Uh, it's pretty beneficial to join. You get online access to the Vintage Voice Electronic E-Edition and Archival Edition newsletters. Uh, the Vintage Volkswagen Club archives. You also get access to factory manuals, dealer brochures, and other manuals. And, of course, you'll have peace of mind knowing you're a member of the largest, oldest Vintage Volkswagen Club in the world that's still around. So joining is free, and you should join because I did. So give our friends at the Vintage Volkswagen Club of America a shout-out at vvwca.com. Join. It's free. Also, you can make your club an affiliate of the Vintage Volkswagen Club of America, and there's some pretty decent perk benefits. Also, there's a pro membership where you get discounts at several different uh, places that support the Vintage Volkswagen Club of America. So don't forget, guys, check out the Vintage Volkswagen Club of America and give them a shout. If you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com slash store. we got some new T-shirts out. They're 20 bucks. Uh, pretty legit shirts. got the logo, and it says, what's your VW story on it? So if you want to be the player on the corner, Everybody checking you out, being like, man, it's a dope shirt. Go to the pod, go to the podcast website at letstalkdubs.com and check us out. Without making you wait any longer, here you go. Alex Arredondo, Flat 4 Media. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motors Security Blanket. Hey everybody, today, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we had a podcast recorded a while back a little bit with myself and my friend that I'm about to introduce you here in just a few minutes, and I had a little snafu with an SD card, so we lost that to, uh, it's out there in a cyber world somewhere, one day they may come across it as the old ancient records, but uh, as for today, that's been lost, so back in the studio today, I got Alex Arredondo from Flat 4 Media. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. I got a couple of his homies here kicking it with us. I got Nelson Umana and Robert Q both here just kind of chilling in the studio, just watching it go down. So they're lucky they got front row seats to the podcast. And uh, so we got you back here on the podcast. Now, back when we were talking before, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. So we got to, I'm going to introduce you back to my, to my people again. You guys all know Alex from before. So Alex is the guy that's been putting out a lot of the super dope cover features the uh i think one of the, the first time hot vw's had just a motor feature on the cover right correct and a lot of the dbk stuff you've been shooting for a long time um and all the really unique photo shoots uh, the fu split yes where it was double exposure picture with the uh kind of a before and after all in one picture correct um i'm glad to see you back here today and last time we were here, we talked about some things. A lot of people look at your name and they're like, oh, who's this Alex cat? He came out of nowhere, right? So we're going to straighten some history out over here because we go way back when we're talking about talking about your involvement in the VW scene. And what I have sitting here on the podcast desk, which you guys will see on the blog when you follow along at Let's Talk Dubs forward slash blog, I've got the uh, May 1987 issue of Hot VWs. And as I open to page number 68, who do I see? I see Bad Temper 2. <laughs> And I see some of the stuff that started way back in the day. So tell me about Bad Temper 2 and your connection to Bad Temper 2 and how this all comes full circle. Well, you know, Volkswagen scene started in the late 70s for me, 
early 80s uh, in Highland Park. Mm -hmm. And then at one point, uh, I moved down to Huntington Park. And, uh, you know, the, the love of Volkswagens was only because it was the most affordable car back then. Right. And so uh, I hooked up with my best friend, who today is still my best friend, who's here today, Nelson Yamana. We've been best friends almost 40 years. Um, and so we were both into Volkswagens. That's how we basically started. Nice. And so obviously growing up, uh, like a lot of us do, a little less than, uh, than than most, and we kind of look for something to be cool and the cheap, so we roll into a VW. And so you, your first VW was what? Um, 62 uh, VW. We used to call it the Kaka Brown car. Yeah. Brown, but we louvered it, and we put a big motor in it, and we cruised it. You know, we, you know, we from Huntington Park to Highland Park to East LA and Pico Rivera, Whittier Boulevard, the whole, we, we, you know, Elysian Park. That was our scene. Now, so a little known story to some people. I was actually carjacked in L.A. I'm in, sure it, it, at Arlington and Fifty First is where I was. Not sure if that's a great area, but I don't. I'm, something tells me it's not right. So this will be for another podcast. But back in those days, I remember I was driving my Cutlass right. So I had a '76 Cutlass on McLean's, 14 reverse McLean's, and I'm I'm mobbing. Now we're cruising Crenshaw. We're doing all this stuff right because I'm like, hey, bro, I drove down there to show my buddy my wheels. Long story short, I get carjacked, but one of my most memorable VW deals was over there on Crenshaw. And I remember seeing this gunmetal gray convertible on deeps, like a Volkermistrasse type ride, like deep alloys in the back and then some alloys in the front, convertible. And I hopped out the car with my little disposable camera. I was like, bro, can I get a picture of the car? So I snap off picture. But the scene back then was like, different than any other scene in the country what was the scene like back then like the cruising scene and all that stuff what, what were the spots you guys went to and and what was the vibe like because i know when i was there in, in the early 90s it was still going off well you know it's uh it's kind of funny we talk about uh, back in the day you know uh east la southeast la very different from south central la and the west side we just did cars differently um our inspiration was the ruralis brothers with the first uh what we believe is the first cal style car Mm -hmm. slammed original looking car on Fuchs. Now, let me back up two seconds. Explain to me Cal style. What is Cal style? So um, a lot of people really don't know. Cal look, you know, is you're talking big motors, uh, de-chromed. Um, you know, they, some, some of them used uh, Porsche alloys, or we call uh, Lloyds back in the day, Fuchs today, and uh, BRMs. We in uh, L.A., East L.A. area, we did stock-looking cars slammed on original Porsche Fuchs. Mm -hmm. And um, some of us, if we can afford it, you built a big motor. Some of us went with the stock motor, but that was our style. And you know, it's kind of funny because they called it a lot of different names. Back then, they used to call it the Beaner look. Yeah. For, <laughs> for Mexicans that... Oh, uh, is that what that means? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it, it went through a couple phases, but uh, what I understand, the first uh, Cal-style car that we know today that everybody builds uh, throughout the world. Uh, we started with a guy by the name of Rene Ruales, where he built a uh, Carmen Ghia on uh, four and a half, slammed, and uh, there's still uh, photographs of it today in the in social media. Well, and it's funny, it's, and sometimes style is dictated by accessibility and certain aspects of what we can do. So a lot of people think that we everybody used the four and a half inch alloys because they're so skinny and they were cool. Well, the reason that they had to use them was because nobody was narrowing beams. And you didn't want your wheels sticking out in the front, so you had to get you know skinny wheels or the offset where it's where it's at in there, and that's kind of where it comes from. In addition to like the drag guys wanting lightweight wheels in the front, but really, you know, sometimes 
the lack of innovation in the scene mandates some of the style cues. And so, you know, in the back, you could do a nice deep dish wheel because you had enough room and normally the car had a little bit of a rake to it. But, you know, the, the cow style is definitely a style that stands out. I mean, you can for sure see it. Just like when I, I reference Volca Mistrasi, right? This, this, this crew I used to see back in the, back in the uh, early 90s at some of the VW shows. And all these dudes, was a bunch of brothers, and I don't think they were related. And they had, like, all deep dish wheels on the back and, like, like white rubber, a little bit like a, like, like a mix of cow style and Hawaiian look. Yeah, they, I mean, they had sevens and eights. Yeah, yeah, but I remember seeing these cars at the show, and, like, you could distinctly, you, you could almost back in the day, you could tell where a guy was from by how his car was hooked up. Correct, no problem. Yep. You know, so the, the, the hot spots to cruise back then were where? You know, we started at uh, Dodger Stadium, Elysian Park, Stadium Way. If we were going to race, that's where we raced at Stadium Way or Riverside Drive. Uh, from uh, Highland Park over down uh, south to East L.A., Whittier Boulevard was the main, main place. Uh, Soto, Whittier, they used to call it the hole. Mm-hmm. And then we used to drive. As soon as we got kicked out by uh, LAPD, we would go east to uh, Pico Rivera and uh, Whittier Narrows. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'd go till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning until the sheriffs kicked us out. So they kick you guys out just for cruising. Like, Correct. Like, hey, you guys can't, like, this is mobile loitering. Like, you guys just keep looping back at the stoplights, looping back and forth. Uh, we would take over the street. I mean, yeah. you're, you're talking, uh, it's nothing that we've seen today. I mean, we're talking hundreds of cars, but they would come from all over. I mean, they would come from Orange County. They'd come from the Valley. You know, uh, the Valley is a totally different place from us. Yeah. You know, in LA. I mean, we don't even consider the Valley LA. Right. And I'm talking about the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of car clubs there, but they would come over over to us and hang out with us. And over there, that was kind of like the, the, I don't want to say, I don't want to say cow look because everybody, when we say cow look, a lot of people think the traditional California, like DKP look. But there's a different style that came from the Valley too. Like the Valley was like, Limo tinted windows, beat grooves, you know, like like that kind of. They had more of a hot rod look because a lot of their dads were mm-hmm. in the hot rods, and so the influence was hot rods. Yeah. So that's where they really came from, I mean, the Valley guys. And so let's talk about Bad Temper 2. So Bad Temper 2, this car was re- resurged back a little bit, CRG. Uh, Carlos Guzman found the car, and you had this car back there. So give me the story of, of Bad Temper 2. So uh, the car originally was one of my friends in um, Bal, California. And so uh, I bought the car, and uh, we did a restoration on it. And uh, I had a mechanic, uh, Mauricio Velasquez. And so we built the car, and that's when logo cars were just starting. Uh, you'll start seeing them. Uh, the first local car that I've ever seen on the street, besides you know NHRA and on the dragsters, was uh, Ray Mejia, and he had a burgundy oval called Little Dreamer, mm-hmm. and that car was just simply amazing because he'd come up and down the street and pop wheelies. We had never seen that. Yeah, and it's funny because Ray and I have now been friends for thirty plus years, but um, and you know he he runs in the outlaw turbo class uh, uh, racing and but. Um, I ended up buying my first uh, turbo motor, 1776, mm-hmm. from him that he had in one of his gears. And, uh, you know, we named it Bad Temper 2 with uh, my buddy Jerry Gomez, who had the red Bad Temper. And we were all friends back then, back in the day. And we were, we were came from Echo Park. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, downtown Los Angeles. And um, I wanted to go faster. And we went to a uh, 2110 that I actually got from Ray also. Yeah. I sold my 1776. I bought the uh, 2110 turbo. And... Um, all all the boys, uh, Darren, uh, DQ, Nelson, um, Carlos, uh, CRG, 
Uh, we'd all go to the drag races, and uh, this was a complete stock car. If you if you look at it, I mean, we were talking about yeah, it had you know Porsche cookie cutters, and it had logo, and it it had uh, super seats in it and stuff like that. But I'm talking about the actual suspension yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, it's basically a stock car. Right, lower a little bit, and that's it. That's it. And I, I ran, uh, I think we were at Formosa, and I ran in the uh, low 11s in the car. Really? And uh, the um, the guy who ran the, the the track came down and stopped me and said, you can't race here no more. What, what's wrong? What's going on? He goes, you can't be running 11s on a car with no with no, uh, no roll, roll cage, cage and <laughs> safety all, all, equipment, you know, all the all safety it. equipment. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the cool thing was back in the day, you know, racing on the streets of L.A., uh, you know, a lot of people didn't want to race the car just because I mean, they knew it was a you know pretty fast car for a street car. Now, did you go to the street races all, all the time back then? All the time. Because there were some, some legendary guys back then that were kind of known – in the street racing circles, and so what was the vibe at the like to 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 roll out on a Saturday night, or were they during weeknights when they do street racing? Like when when would they do it? And then now this is back. So for you young kids out there listening to the podcast, this is back before cell phones. Like maybe you had maybe you had a beeper, but then really if you had a no, beeper, this is before even before beepers. beepers. This is before beepers. And so we all knew uh, on certain days we'd go somewhere. So if we were going to go Wednesday night, mm-hmm. and uh, cruising was Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays. And then Sunday afternoon. So it all depends on where you you were going to go. And once we started cruising and we were out, you know, hanging out, meeting girls, doing whatever we wanted to do, or just hanging out with the boys. Right. Uh, so once we got kicked out of there because law enforcement would come in, we would all know where we're going to go next. So uh, it was like a little pecking order, but uh, depending on what day, where we started. Yeah. And so... It was a pretty consistent thing. So for street racing, for example, where would they go? Because they street race in downtown LA, right? So as soon as we knew we were going to have a street race, we were going to say, hey, let's go to Legion Park. So everybody knew Legion Park was, they meant Stadium Way. We're going to go to race on Stadium Way. Or if we wanted to get away from the crowd, we'd drive down to Riverside Drive, which is on just on the other side of the hill, mm-hmm. uh, off the 5 Freeway near Dodger Stadium. So that's where we're going to, most of our races were going to be at. And a lot of those guys, I mean, it, it was funny out here back in the early 90s, when we were like drag racing, street racing out here, bugs were still un like nobody knew that VWs could be real fast. But I know back in those days, it was always some big V8 car coming to challenge a Volkswagen, right? Porsches, V8s, and they always got beat down pretty bad. Yeah. And uh, they lose their money and we'd never see them again. Yeah, so I mean, they'd come down there and go, "Oh, you think that somebody you someone hear a rumor about some fast Volkswagen downtown?" They go, "Ah, oh, I'll go down there with my Nova and clean his clock," and they just go home with their tail between their legs and kind of roll out. Because when when they go to street races here, people would be if they're from L.A. or California, they'd be like, "No, no, stay away from them bugs, man. Stay away from them bugs," because the bugs were like, "Oh yeah," and you talk about someone like Ray with a uh, little dreamer. Yeah, I mean, he was the fastest uh, street car back in the day. I mean, people didn't want to race them; they they knew it. Yeah. So looking at this car, um, you had this car, you, you did it in this bad temper two motif. You did the turbo motors, but I'm also looking at something different here. So a lot of people nowadays are talking about cutting wheels and the cutting holes and drilling holes and, and getting crazy with a drill press and whatever they're doing to, to lighten up their wheels or trying to make them look unique. Now I'm looking at the wheels on this car. And if you guys have a chance to, to look at this episode and you look, you can see these pictures on the blog at letstalkdubs.com. Um, there's something done with these alloys here. What's well, going on with these alloys? Well, you got cookie cutters on here. What's well, going on? It's kind of funny. Uh, if you think about it, you know, you hear today's trend and on social media, and it's pretty cool. The social media, and you talk about cut faces, and you talk about you know cut rims and all this stuff. And 
and it, it's all good. And, you know, you see social media that, you know, I'm the first here, I'm the first there. And that's cool, whatever. Uh, you know, you're trying to sell a product. But, you know, in 86, I had cut uh, rims also. And my cutters were cut up, so to give them that deep kind of a look. Right. So, um, yeah, there you go. The car was built in 86 and 87 in Hot BW. You can see the photographs of my cut cutters. So, I think right now, until we find an earlier picture in this, we're going to go ahead and say that on the streets of L.A., they were cutting up wheels to kind of change the look. And, and if you know how cookie cutter looks, there's that return that would be the, the cookie cutter part. That's kind of been trimmed back, so the wheel looks more like a star than a cookie cutter on these things. And it's actually... It's pretty funny looking at it nowadays because everybody's wanting to be the first to this and the first to that. And it's like, it, it seems that most of the time everything old is new again. And some people forget about the history. So one of the things we want to do to come on here is to kind of straighten out some some of that history. So what ended up happening with Bad Temper too? So you get this car, you get it featured. What You get it featured and it's got to be obviously your your like your dream come true. Your car's in a magazine, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Summer shot it for Hot VWs back in the day. And, and it was pretty cool because it was probably one of the very first um, – latin cars that we saw as kids in the magazine right i mean a car that you saw on the streets is like hey now i can identify that i can have a car in the magazine also which was uh which was pretty cool but eventually just like anything else i went into the professional world and um you know volkswagen's was not going to be it and so i parted the car out the car the turbo motor which was a pretty big motor that ray built it went to a uh dragster and um the car was sold to someone in la and Eventually, later, it just kind of got lost, and uh, one of Carlos's friends from GFK found the car down in Arlington Heights, just about the place where you got jacked. Yeah, close to there. <laughs> <laughs> tell my friends, tell the VNGs down there, tell them Bill said, what's up? <laughs> so the car got uh, the car was found actually on the street, pretty beat up condition, and if you go to my social media, you'll was see it, it parked next to a green cutlass? <laughs> <laughs> I actually picked up my cutlass in Wilmington, because that's where, that's where the impound is apparently in LA, but... <laughs> yeah, there you go, and so... Um, Carlos, uh, you know, he called up uh, myself and my boy Nelson right here and he said, hey, they found the car and I'm going to buy it. What do you think? Do you want to buy it? And I said, no. He bought it and he restored it and he still owns it today. Yeah. And so so what year did the car get? Now, when they found the car, it was the paint, the paint body was still mostly intact on it? The car was all intact except it had been pretty beat up. It had been wrecked and the uh, paint was all faded. And Carlos actually took the whole car apart and redid he did the whole restoration of the car. And try to go as much as he could off their original car. And, you know, I was there with him. So, you know, we kept it pretty original. Did it still, the big question, did it still have the super seats in it? He still has the original super seats Aww, in it. Oh, yeah. See, some kids you guys will never understand. That's, uh, I know a lot of you guys like the stock seats, but I'm going to tell you right now. You never cruised the Volkswagen until you dropped the seat about three, four inches lower, and they had reclining back seats, baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. Movie theater. <laughs> That's it. And the, yep. And the bolsters in them. Yep. Yep. But, yeah, these, uh. This was back in the day. I see you had a hot sound system in there with a four, six by nines thumping. So uh, so now you get this car. So you sell the car. Life comes along. You move along in your deal. And like a lot of us, we kind of, we get out of the scene for a little bit. So how long do you get out of the scene and, and what brings you back? So I think about 20 years went, uh, had gone by. And as I was getting a little older and, uh, you know, I still had my friends and some of them were still on the scene. I decided, let me go buy a car. And so one thing led to another where I bought a, an oval window and I flipped that oval window for a red 55 uh, that a lot of people would probably know who owned it prior and who built it. You know, Bob Koch. I bought the uh, car that he built for his wife, Teresa. Mm-hmm. And um, he had sold it to one of his friends and it was stored for nearly 20 years. And, you know, we got a, our hands on it and both my boy right here, Nelson and I, and 
couple of my friends and uh, uh, you know George uh, Schmidt, uh, we tore it up and put it all back together, and you know that's where we went with that car. So that was the car. So that's the kind of the car you got back on the scene with. Correct. And you were pursuing photography as kind of a, a personal passion of yours. Yes. And then how do you evolve from now you get back in the scene, you got yourself a nice little ride. And how do you evolve that and to start to start doing the photography? Well, it was just kind of a coincidence. You know, I, I am an amateur photographer. Well, at the time. And uh, one of our friends uh, that knows uh, Niels over at uh, Air Mighty, uh, was telling him, hey, you, this car should be in the uh, magazine. And uh, he put me in contact with Niels, and one thing led to another, and Niels was going to send a photographer. And I told Niels, hey, can I try shooting it? And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I shot it, and Niels liked the uh, photographs. And the next thing I know, it's on the cover of uh, Air Mighty. Oh, nice. What And what issue is that? Issue, I think it was 18 or something like that. So, issue 18 at Air Mighty. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, been a, it's been a couple of years. Nice. So that's where it went, and then... Um, uh, at one point, someone asked me if they wanted to sell the car, and I said no, and because I really didn't have an interest in it. It was, you know, I just really brought it out. It's been like two years, and one thing led to another. I sold the car, and I flipped that into uh, my current uh, 52 11G. Talk to me about the 11G. So g- give me the story on the 11G. Um, it's, well, once again. So tell us some. Listen, man, you're using all these hip Cali terms, baby. <laughs> you got to break it down for the people uh, on the podcast. Uh, what Some of those that don't know what an 11G is, tell them what 11G is. So uh, in the split world, an 11G is a three-fold rag top, uh, deluxe Volkswagen Type 1. Right, because the, the standard Beetle didn't come with... I mean, standard standard was like super basic, flat paint, the whole nine. But yeah, and they call they call it an 11A. Yeah. That's the model. And so an 11G, for those of you that are out there looking at split windows, if it's a legit 11G, it'll be stamped in a number plate 11G. Correct. And so uh, a lot of people put three folds in there. And nothing wrong with that. Nobody hating on you. But, you know, if you're looking for uh, longevity value, an, an original 11G is not easy to get. So you end up selling the red car. You put some money together. How do you come across this 11G? Um, Old Bug with Randy. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw it, and uh, a couple of friends, we talked about it, and uh, myself, uh, Robert VW Kid, and myself, uh, Nelson, we drove down to San Diego, saw the car, we negotiated a deal, and uh, I brought it home. Nice. And so what's been the status on that car? So that was built by a concourse-level shop in uh, Boston years ago, in 1998. And so we talk about 1998 restorations. I mean, those are a 1998 restoration is a little different level than a 2018 restoration, 2018. Yes, yes. How does this car compare to it? Well, I mean, I've been told it's probably one of the nicest paint jobs uh, on a Volkswagen that, you know, some people have told me that it, it is. And it's pretty nice still. And so what we did is, um, is uh, I had uh, a friend of mine come up and, uh, color sand the car or color correct it we took it all apart color corrected it um the interior was incorrect we got the interior correct uh i took my seats that were uh incorrect took them over to pip and i found me some backs that were split and then he had to do a little bit of work on them Mm -hmm. uh to get them right and then you know you know how it goes you powder coat them and and then um one thing leads to another then uh uh, it had the what i didn't know at the the point we were going to slam it on fuchs and a big motor and and I got the um, birth certificate back, and it said, "No, that's your original motor." 
So it kind of changed a lot of things. So yeah. uh, in talking with uh, George Schmidt. So wait a sec. You mean to tell me your garage doesn't have just a pallet? You could pull that motor out and train and just set it to the side, put you a big fat daddy motor in there and rip that thing down the road? We can do that. No, we can do that. And uh, I almost thought I heard a little chicken noise when you said you want to leave a stop. But hey, I'm gonna. <laughs> no, I can like I can appreciate. I can appreciate a stop. I mean, I drove a, my stock split for two whole weeks, and then I just got mad of being assaulted on the freeway. People just cutting me off, taking my lane from me, like downshifting on the on ramp. And nothing wrong with stock split, but uh, I love me some big VW power. So well, you know the. Um Reality is, is that it's not like I've never owned a big motor car, no, or I've never, you know, been on a racetrack and, you know, drive drove 130 miles an hour in a Volkswagen. Right. So it's not like my first, you know, sure, rodeo. Sure. So what uh, I wanted to be a little different, and so because it was the original motor, and I have the birth certificate and everything that goes with it, and the certificate that the engine is correct, uh, we want to do something different. And if you you've seen my car, you'll see it has dual carburetors, and you're like. What's, you know, why you have dual carburetors? What do you mean? And uh, I was the max, I was 55 miles an hour, 56 miles an hour. I've been there. And I told George, dude, people want to run me over on the freeway. We got to do something. So we had an idea, put racial rockers and some dual carburetors, and it really didn't work out. But uh, George manufactured everything the uh, manifolds. We put the two uh, original uh, split carburetors on it. Dual Solexes on there. Correct. And, um, uh, you know, it looks totally different, but we wanted to the design like if Dr. Porsche is actually the one who sure. designed it back in the day. And uh, if you look at the car now, uh, you know, it, uh, it, the classic, it won best engine uh, f- three years ago, two years ago, something like that. And, um, and now how fast you go on the freeway now with the dual carbs? 68 miles an hour. I mean, that's, and people think like that's not a big deal. That's when you're stuck at 55, man, 68's like they just went into light speed. <laughs> Day and night, just by doubling the fuel that, you know, in that little 25 horsepower. Yeah. They, no, they say the VW, the stock VW motor is two and a half times under carburetor, one and a half times under carburetor. But, uh, yeah, making that difference in a split window. I guess, you know, if you could do 68, I mean, I remember the process when I, when I took my 36 horse and I went from a, a stock 36 to the, um, the Acrasa setup, the aftermarket Acrasa setup, and it was like night and day. It took a little while to get there, but you could get to 70, yes. 68, 70 miles an hour, which was like, hallelujah. Yeah, you know? and, and you'll see me. I, I'm driving my car. I drive my split to mostly all the shows. Yeah. And what's your uh, – so the plans with that thing is just to keep it mostly stock. Yeah, I mean – Appreciate r- the car. R- really, I'll devalue the car if I slam it on Fuchs and put a big motor in it. Even though you can say, well, you can hold on to that stuff, sure. but I'll devalue the car. So uh, eventually I'm going to come out with a different car, and that's I'll just hold on to that car just the way it is. Now, how did you get into uh, – so and uh, we see you get a lot of exclusive features and a lot of really uh, new and upcoming stuff, and you got a real tight relationship with the boys over at the compound. Talk to me about how you kind of run into – uh, Dave uh, or Pip and all them guys over there and kind of how you roll into that that whole scene? Well, you know, um, after shooting for Air Mighty, I was getting some cars that uh, need either Neils or, you know, some cars that were coming out brand new. And I started shooting them. And people saw that I, I shoot differently. Just my photography, my mindset is just totally different from, you know, most photographers. And so, uh, you know, owners are like, I want to look different. I want my car to look different. So uh, they sometimes seek me out. Sometimes I seek them out. And then when I tell them who I am in my photographs, they're like, oh, I want you to shoot my car. And sometimes they wait. You know, other photographers ask them and no, uh, I'm going to wait for Alex. And that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. 
No, it's a, listen, you, you definitely have a, a specific style in your photography. There's definitely a, a specific look to what you produce. You know, I've noticed it from the cars that you shoot and the way that you shoot them. And I think some of the, I mean, we're buddies and everything, but I mean, to be honest, like some of the stuff that you've done has really impressed me with the way it, it gives value to the magazines that put them out because it's, it's a, it's an appreciation. If you can appreciate good photography and you can appreciate Volkswagens, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a blend of the two, you know? So I really dig, I think my, one of my favorite covers and you did two of them with, a, with, with a double exposure, but my favorite was the FU split with, you know, the way that that feature had a double exposure and it just looks super clean. And I just love the way that that looks now, when you do a when you do a photo shoot like that, what's the timeline it takes to shoot that fu split? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that because what people don't know is you have to put time into it. When I shot the uh, pan for fu split, I shot it a year prior to shooting the car. Um, you know, you know, meeting Pip and hooking up with Pip, and you know, eventually becoming a DBK member uh, myself. Um, you know, we we have a you know pretty good relationship where I know what he's building. I know uh, what he's building long before uh, it goes to social media. I see the cars, I see the pans, I see the motors, and you know, I'm fortunate. You know, I'm very lucky that uh, he allows me into the compound, and so I see what's coming. I see his vision. We talk about his vision, and it's it's pretty cool to to get in the mind of Pip. Yeah. And so uh, I get to shoot the pans, uh, you know, the rims before it gets out anywhere, and then I you know I tell him, hey, this is the vision I have. This is what I would like to do, but it's going to take a while. And then by the time the car is finally done and we marry the car together, then I'm able to do something like that. But it, it, it does, I mean, you're sometimes it's a year or two investment in a photo shoot. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've to be able, there's two things got to happen here. One, you got to know the car is going to get finished because anybody can take a picture of a pan, right? But you got to be able to work with somebody you know is going to come to a deadline and that car is going to get finished, and you've got to stage the exact same space, exact same location, exact same lighting that you had the first time that you shot it. So, I oh, mean, we we mark we we have to mark where yeah. we're going to put it because I want it to be perfect. So we mark it and uh, down to the uh, specs on my camera, you know, the focal length and the aperture and some things like that, and you know where we're going to place the car, and we have to place that car the exact same spot. And I know people talk about oh, in Photoshop you can adjust that. Well, I I don't do a lot of that. You know, my, my most of my photographs, surprisingly, are uh, straight out of the camera. Untouched. Untouched. And the second thing is um, a lot of stuff that you see on social media are shot on my iPhone. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, a lot of those pictures that you take, I mean, you take some pretty pretty legit pictures you put out there on your on your Instagram feed, and you're doing them on your... I mean, we, we talk about photography. The, the technology of the iPhone has brought the capability of people to take high-quality, high-resolution photos on their phone that 10 years ago you couldn't even take a picture that good on a camera dude i used to be a samsung lover and then uh, one day my boy was telling me hey you got to go to the iphone because of the camera and uh i did and i'll never go back I yeah. mean, the iphone uh camera is just amazing and i'm shooting with an iphone 7 plus i mean that's three or four year old camera and uh, i'm telling anybody anybody who wants to be a photographer start with your iphone i mean you can get some really nice images and, and do a good job and people will like them well, I think a lot of it also is, you know, if you, it's like when I, I don't consider myself like some kind of videographer, but when I, when I do little videos or little clips like that, I kind of know what I want to shoot. And so in my head, I'm already editing, like I'm, I'm doing the shot so I don't have to edit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I just stitch things together and put it together. And this way, that's how you can make a video kind of quick in the same respect. 
with a camera and you're just taking raw high quality pictures you could if you're if you're setting up the location properly the lighting properly all that kind of stuff and even if it's all natural if you know the time the place the colors how all that works you can get phenomenal pictures out of using an iPhone because a it's a high quality camera and b if you're doing all the prep work in advance, like know the time, the place, and where you're going to shoot it, I mean, you can pull out some amazing pictures. And that, that I think is the biggest difference that you see with photography is like you look at a picture and you know you've got a great picture. When you look at a picture and it evokes an emotion, a feeling, a thought, a memory, you know, because some pictures are just pictures. But when you see a picture, uh, one, of, one of my favorite pictures you have online is the hood of your, I think it's the hood of your 11G and it's palm trees in the reflection of the hood. And it's just a really cool picture because it's subtle, but it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of a California vibe, California VW vibe. And it was done with an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so I, I will tell people, I mean, if you, if you, if you want to do this, uh, here's the two things you can do it with the expensive camera. Like I do shoot my Nikon or an iPhone. Listen, never stand up, you know, get high or get low. Right. And position yourself with the light to your back. Light up the car properly, just because that's all it is. Photography is just light. Mm-hmm. So if you get that light, that right light coming in, you can get some really, really nice photographs. Oh yeah, no, no I mean, no doubt. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into what you do that makes it kind of look easy, but there's a lot of forethought in advance, which is what I think makes that makes the difference. So, what is uh, in regards to photo features, what's been your favorite? car that you've shot or your feature so far or have they not been produced yet you know it's kind of funny that um we got something going uh, it's going to come hopefully next year a little thing with uh pip and uh i've captured lately i've captured some amazing photographs but i've never posted anything on social media and i won't because i want it to be the surprise yeah so you guys are going to see something here hopefully uh 2020 and uh something totally different uh you know with pip and some of the cars and some of the photo shoots that we've done uh, lately. And um, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, I know that, uh, you know, obviously because I know Pip as well. And he's been sh- he's been shooting me some stuff to keep on the down low. And I know he's got some crazy stuff coming out. I mean, him, the, the stuff he's doing and being able to t- bring it to market through MP, I think that's going to be uh, – that's going to be really cool, man, to be able to take people that are living wherever besides Southern California or that don't have a custom machine shop, and yet they, they'll be able to access products and pieces that are just like the stuff that Pip's doing at the compound. So I think that's one of the one of the coolest things that I've seen turn about in the industry lately um, that are, is going to be able to deliver and kick up that level of quality. You know, it was back in the 80s when you saw like Johnny Speed and Chrome on everything. You know what I mean? And it was like, oh, yeah. oh you go to the store, get your Johnny Speed and Chrome grill inserts or your, you know, Speedo ring or your whatever billet piece, whatever it is this time. And now, and, and those parts and pieces, although back then um, were like the cool stuff. And then after a while, I was like, oh, you got that cheesy billet stuff. And now it's all come back. Like, oh, did you find, this is original Johnny Speed and Chrome, this, this, and this, you know. But I think being able to see this change in the scene with this high level of engineering and thought put into some VW stuff is a pretty exciting time to be involved in the scene right now. Yep. it's uh, Good things are coming. And uh, I think that uh, what's most important is that the average person, now I'm not talking about that you're average. I'm just talking to the person, the, the, the normal person out there who loves Volkswagens, but maybe doesn't have that ability to fabricate something is going to be out be able to go to MP store or a someone who sells MP parts and buy something through the compound and it's going to be pretty special. 
Yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. You get, you just saw just recently CB Performance just teamed up with Fast Fab. Yep. So there's. I, I think you're going to see in the future the VWC and some collaborations and whatnot go on between other people because I think the the industry's pushing upward. You know, and and I'm pretty excited for what's out there. Yeah, so. and, and I, I mean, I can't speak of what I know. Mm-hmm. You know. Because it's not my it's business. It's all top secret. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's CIA kind of stuff, but right, right, right. But I'm just saying that you know, I, you know, I'm privy to some things only because you know I photograph them or I'm around sure. it and stuff like that. Or I go to someone's shop and I see it and you know, and they tell me, hey, just don't say anything. I'm cool. So I won't say anything. And um, but yeah. well, I know I I know this uh, this next week coming up is gonna be the SEMA show, and I know that uh, MP's coming out and Pip's coming out. Pip's got some cool stuff to display that they'll be displaying for the first time at. Uh, at the MP booth, so hopefully uh, I'll be down there for my Let's Talk Dubs listeners out there grabbing some some video, some stuff that's going down at MP and giving you guys, all you guys that can never make it to Vegas to come to the world's greatest car show. It's a good thing and a bad thing about the SEMA show. Like, you walk in the SEMA show, and you're like on this sensory overload where you can't believe it, and then when you come down, you come down off your car high, and then you go back and look at your car, you just want to burn it. You're like, this piece of garbage. <laughs> this thing doesn't have 96 speakers in the door and a 46-inch plasma. Like, like it's it's there's so much going on at the SEMA show, but it's it's one one of the great things I love about the SEMA show is I go through there, and I just keep taking pictures. And I'm not even I'm not even talking like a photographer taking pictures. I just take pictures so I can remember what I saw. Well, it gives you inspiration. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many different levels of the automotive industry there, and you'll go look at some. You'll, you'll look at stuff on the hot rod side. You go look at things in the boat, like where they got boats and stuff. You look at wherever they've got something going on. There's another level of something happening, and you can see some of those things, especially in the work that like Pip does. You can see a lot of a, uh, a lot of hot rod influence, and 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 not saying like um, hot rod like everybody's picturing in their head, but realistically more like uh, you know how how everything on hot rods was like smooth smooth everything over eliminate wires clean it up make it look like it doesn't run yeah you know what i mean yeah and you could see a lot of that influence coming there which which came from yeah a lot of that stuff so a, a lot of the a lot of the hot rod stuff now one of the photo shoots you did was uh was heb 253 yes now talk to me about that photo shoot that was that was, that was a pretty involved photo shoot on your part yeah you know um i i, I don't I, I call myself like a destination photographer. I like going out uh, outside the normal realm to photograph cars. And if you look at my photo shoots or if you look at uh, the old Air Mighty magazines or you look at the current Hot VW magazines who I currently shoot for, uh, both uh, you know Shin Marikai and um, Shin Watanabe, if you look at the uh, photo shoots, you'll see that most of the time uh, they're not done you know locally. They're done somewhere else. And so uh, Tony and Allison who own a Heb 253, I told him, hey, I had an idea. I uh, thought that that car was a gateway to the VW industry. And uh, what better place than Route 66, which was the gateway from, you know, the East Coast, Chicago yeah. uh, to Los Angeles. And so, um, you know, Tony agreed and we drove the 125 miles north, um, took it out to Route 66 and photographed it and it was, I believe, the uh, July cover of Hobby W's, and uh, that's you know it, uh, it came out pretty pretty nice. No, it really it for sure had a super cool look to it, just the way it, uh, just having it shot out there in the middle of the desert, you know, just on that Route 66. It just, I mean, it 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 it, it captures a whole a whole vibe just looking at it, which I think is it's back to one of those less is more kind of things. Yeah, and then uh, you know I took. Uh, Dave uh, Bait Media with me out there. He's a young, 
you know, up and coming photographer. And he's young. I mean, he's still in high school, but uh, he's got an eye. And I, I try to mentor him whenever I can. And um, I took him out there to do the video and he produced a really nice video. You know, he got thousands and thousands of views and uh, it actually got recopied to other uh, sites. And I mean, at one point, I think I saw 100,000 views oh, really? from someone in South America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that's a, that, that it's a, it's a huge market that's often overlooked. I mean, South America, and I mean, really South Central America, all the all those areas down there are really overlooked, and they're so huge in the VW scene, especially when it comes to social media, because that's really where they get their access to what they're what they're viewing. So I got a lot of followers from uh, Brazil, you know, South America, mm-hmm. Mexico. I, I've got followers uh, all over the place, uh, you know, Europe, uh, here in the United States, Australia, Hawaii. You know, I've had I've done photo shoots in Mexico and Hawaii and here in the United States, all the way East Coast. And so I, I get a lot of people, you know, my boy, Bob Daniels out in Pennsylvania. You've you've spoken yeah. to him. Yeah, Bob's been on the podcast. Yep. You know, so he's a good friend of mine. And, you know, we, we've been out there uh, shooting some of the cars. And so a lot of good things coming. Yeah. No, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of things that you've got in the hopper. We've been talking back and forth about a bunch of stuff. I'm pretty excited about the big project that you're working on that should come out in 2020. I think the scene deserves something like that. And the more we get closer to where we can start telling you guys all about it, we will. But I mean, I think it's, I think it's definitely something's going to elevate the game because it's, it always seems like, you know, the VW scene compared to other automotive scenes has always been like, it just seems like it's never gotten the due, the due that it's been due. You know what I mean? Like the, I don't want to say the respect because we're, we're you know, we're respected in our own right in, in regards to, you know, when it comes to drag racing or show car levels or things like that. But it's never really had, I think, like that. Because it's such a small owner-operator type industry, it's never really gotten its due like it has where you've seen big books published on it. And this, I mean, there's been some some pieces and parts, but nothing really huge. And Well, just like what you've spoken about before, Bill, you know, the uh, the VW industry is, is not just, uh, uh, you know, local. You know, Americana. I mean, it's worldwide, and you've yeah, mentioned worldwide. it a couple times in your podcast. Yeah, it's just like this podcast, it's worldwide. But I mean, it's uh, I mean, it, it it's it's intense. I mean, because I've been a VW show. Some of my favorite VW shows that I've been to have been, you know, the 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 European Bug In. That's one of that's one of the cool. I mean, like just to go there and see how they do their shows is just so different than how we do our shows. And then Volksworld and some of the shows that I've been to, you know, between. Uh, England and, and, and Belgium and just the way that the Europeans do it and how they all have their own, like on their own style, they have their own little flair, but they all like to emulate the U S style. But like, you'd look at like the Brazilian style that's coming out now. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. Um, when the dude tried to say, <laughs> I said this couple a couple episodes back where I talked about, they said the new Hawaiian look. I said, that ain't the new Hawaiian look. That's a Brazilian look, man. That's, that's what they've been doing in Brazil for a while. And, Interestingly enough, I, I was on, uh, I caught up with a cat on WhatsApp chatting with a dude in Brazil about an AR in front suspension on a bus and we're going back and forth. But, you know, I think we think to ourselves that that's, that's kind of a primitive market, but the reality is the VW is such a, such more of a staple vehicle down there where they are that they've got stuff that we have no idea that they have access to because they just sell it. To, they've got a big enough market on their own that they're not trying to go. Yeah, they're big clubs over there. I mean, the uh, some of their guys uh, follow me, and you know, we send uh, messages back and forth, and you know, they're very complimentary towards my photography, and you know, uh, they like certain things, they like our styles, but you know, they've got their own Cal style also. You know, they yeah. they, they slam them with uh, Porsche Fuchs, and you know, and uh, so they've got a really nice thing going. And let's not forget um, Mexico. 
Yeah. My boy down there, Alex Thompson and, you know, Speed and uh, in Mexicali and so like that. Those guys are building some nice cars. And, you know, we've been down to their shows in Mexico City and Guadalajara and Mexicali. And I'll tell you, uh, don't yeah. bypass what uh, our friends south of the border are doing. They're, they're building some really nice cars. No, that's for sure. Like some of my favorite cars that I see are not in the States. You know what I mean? I see some stuff. I see some nice stuff coming out of Mexico. I see some really nice stuff coming out of Brazil. And and, I, I, and me, I'm partial to kind of the German look and I see just a lot of tough German look stuff coming out of there. And, uh, but even their style that they have in and of itself is, is a, is a really unique style, but it's, it's a respectable style that the cars are, I mean, they, they have the same kind of passion and commitment to their cars that we do here. And I think when the game gets elevated here with parts and pieces and uh, you know, I mean, just the, the, I could do a whole podcast just on what the narrow beam did to the scene. Correct. You know what I mean? How it just switched up the game on every level. And then like, Oh, you mean we don't have to use Carmen Ghia brakes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, exactly. It just keeps going because you know, it, there's so much, there's so much innovation that I think has been, it's been delayed because there haven't there haven't been enough people pushing. They haven't had maybe it's just they just don't have the capability to push the scene because a lot of guys you look at um, you know small shops where like they can do some innovative stuff but they can only do it for a little bit of time because they got to get back to bread and butter business and and doing these types of things. So I think as we see these things that are brought to market by I don't want to say backyard guys but like a guy just doing something custom and the next thing you know. You know, you look at anything from Jeremy with loose nuts doing the safari, the safari bug windshields and stuff yep. like that. And he, he practically does them for almost everything. Yep. But for him doing that in his garage, which creates a market for it. And then he realizes he's too busy for it. And he's probably making better money doing being a, a superintendent for a contractor. But the reality is it brings that. It, it shows that there's a market demand for something. And if people put the time, effort, and energy into it, they'll they'll sell it, you know. I know on, on my bus, on my crew cab, I've got uh, the 944 turbo brakes. Now, I thought that was legit, probably a little bit overkill for the bus. But in reality, you know, my buddy Lana with VW Engineering, I call him up and he'll give me, this guy's done the work, man, where it's like he's done all the math where he'll tell you, I'll tell you, hey, I want to put these brakes on this spindle. He'll be like, you, okay, yeah, I know what you need. You need this, 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 and this. And he's got it all worked out. But it all started with, you know, some of the simple stuff. I mean, back when I, back when I was, when I first did my first set of aftermarket brakes on the bus, nobody was making disc brakes for buses back in what, 2000, 99. And I, and I met Russell with old speed, which we'll get Russell on the podcast soon. Cause Russell's another innovator. Good people. Yeah. And I, I saw Russell from Monoswap me and I, I'm not sure if you hoodwinked me or what actually took place, but maybe I just wanted the brakes that bad. I had a Porsche five speed transmission, which was literally worth nothing to me because I didn't have a Porsche and I just got done. I was pretty proud of myself. I just got done parting out a 65 911. <laughs> and in hindsight, in hindsight, and I paid 400 bucks for it when I bought it. And in hindsight, I'm thinking, boy, I should have kept that car. But uh, Today, I, yeah, yeah, Today, yeah. I, I had that transmission left over. I saw Russell, we got to talking. I said, yeah, I'm building a bus. Meanwhile, I didn't know who I was talking to. I didn't know I was talking to the guy that kicked off my inspiration because I remember back back in the day, it's like the eighty some uh, eighty nine or ninety uh, Jamboree. I remember seeing a, a single cab there laid out on alloys, and it just had old speed sticker on the two front windshields, and had a big fat tack on the dash. And I was like, bro, on my bus is getting a fat tack on the dash. All my buses, <laughs> big fat monster tack on the. We dash. We all had big tacks at once. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But but for me, it's like one of those things. Like that's that the bus ain't done until it's got a big fat monster tack on the dash. Just because 
for me, when I saw that, I'm like, man, how oxymoronic is that? Like, here's this bus, like dopey, slow looking bus. Meanwhile, this one all of a sudden has an attitude and just putting that dash on there is uh, that, that big monster attack on the dash is just kind of like a, she's ready for business. You know exactly. what I mean? Like this thing's not here for playing games. And so, um, you know, when you see guys like Russell that, that innovated and to finish that story, I ended up trading Russell, the Porsche five speed, which I think he still has for the parts and pieces to to modify and put 944 brakes on my first bus. And so when I rolled my bus out in 2000, now Russell had been doing that for a little bit, but it was just kind of like a who has a who wants this and I'll make it for him and then Russell figures out a way and I'm I, you know I get it on my bus and be like, "Whoa, man, how'd you get them brakes on there?" I'm like, "This dude Russell has these things that just you just push the races out and switch the bearings." I was like, "But yeah, you gave him the idea and then he engineered it and you, well, there you go." But, you know, like he was already doing it. I ran across him. He's like, yeah, here's a little thing I've been working on. And now it's like you look here now 18 years later. I mean, they're doing Boxster brake conversions. They're doing – I mean, my, my other bus has got 944 turbo brakes. So the great thing about the hobby being so homegrown is that these guys kind of figure they, – they'll start and say, I want to put these brakes on that car. I need to figure that out instead of saying like, well, what fits the car? And I think that may be a benefit to the VW scene that we, we kind of look for things that are – not in the scene because we, you know, because maybe bare brakes isn't making a brake setup for Volkswagens. And so then we go find a set of brakes and make them fit on the Volkswagen. And that, that limitation, of the scene itself, I think it adds a lot of that customization to where we can take things to another level. So, um, I think good things are happening for yeah, the uh, VWC. There, there's, there's, there's big things on the horizon that are going to really be changing the game on some stuff. So, uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. So, What's next for uh, what's uh, what's next for Flat Four Media? Well, what's next here in the next couple hours? Early morning, wake up to uh, shoot a double cab here in Las Vegas. That's the first thing we're going to be so doing. So we are going to be shooting a car here in Las Vegas. That's right. So we'll be doing a double cab photo shoot here, and then uh, um, you've got something you'll probably be coming out with next year that, that you'll be publishing something next year. Yeah, you know, I, I've got a lot of cars stacked up right now with uh, Hot VWs. And uh, one of the iconic cars from the 80s is coming out here soon. And then, um, well, a rebuild of an iconic car in the 80s sure. is coming out soon. And um, and then hopefully we come out with something pretty special um, photography-wise next year. We'll kind of see what happens. And what's your, so what's your take on, I mean, you got a bunch of cars stacked on deck that you've already photo featured and that kind of stuff. And I had Dean Kirsten on a podcast last week and we just talked about some things that like, like with the way the magazine is, is putting things out. And now that we're down to one magazine here, VW trans, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> we're down to one magazine now, hot VWs. That's right. And I'm sorry. I was thinking of, I was thinking of magazines. I was thinking of seeing tombstones cause it's just after Halloween. I thought I saw VW trans, but, but you know, since we're down to one magazine now here, stateside, it, it, it somehow somehow that magazine I think gets a lot more pressure that they've got to be coming up to date with something else because where competition makes people work harder when there's a lack of competition sometimes people maybe get the perception that it's all them and it's and, and they can kind of dictate what it, what the scene does and when we talked I talked with uh, Dean last week and we talked about some stuff I said what's your take on that he says you know I think they need to do less show coverage and more features now pages and magazines are pages and magazines and i think and, and i think looking at it from the outside in right i'm a magazine collector you see my garage i got a thousand, oh, yeah. a thousand magazines in here but i think the the features of the cars 
I think it would bring more value. Just my personal take on it would bring more value to the magazine if like you knew it was coming out and you were going to get five cars featured and there's going to be five cars featured per issue or whatever. I don't know what the quote is now, but it almost seems like there's like, you know, back here, back in the day, you know, you had, it, you'd open up a hot VW's in 87. You had an off-road car. You had a street car. You had a, maybe a bus, maybe a vintage thing. They kind of had a little bit of a mix. Um, how do you see that playing out now? And, and, and what do you think if, if you were editor for a day, what would you do? And I'm, I'm almost, I mean, listen, I'm only bringing it up just because it's, it's, it's topical and we're talking about I'd it. I'd probably post every one of my cars that are on deck. Right. But, right. but, you know, um, you know, it's hard. You know, you're talking today, the, the price of just producing one magazine is expensive. Sure. You're talking about the printing and paying for photographers and, you know, you know, all the editors and the people who do the layouts. And it's, it's, it's an expensive venture. And a hard copy, you know, an actual magazine is, is expensive. So I think what uh, Dean was talking about, uh, I really like the idea that if you have something coming out, mm-hmm. stop posting it. Yeah. Let a photographer take the pictures and then um, get it to the magazine. And hopefully you can time it from the day you come out with that car uh, to the day that the magazine uh, prints it. And then it, it creates a desire for people to look at the car. Yeah, no, that that's my plan with my split window. I, I think I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on last week's podcast, but I'll let my podcast people know that my split window, that's going to be probably, I mean, just humbly going to say, probably about a split window ever built. Um, it, <laughs> that split window, I don't, I don't want to put teaser pictures out because hopefully I'm coming back to Vegas. Too. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, might invite you to shoot Can it. We we'll, negotiate we'll this. Do that. We'll do that. We'll do so I'm trying to figure out a photo shoot on the runway as a 747 is landing over top of it, but I'm trying to clear with the F the FAA right now. But, um, I, you know, I think getting those pictures because we, we all used to look forward to going to the shows. We all, and, and, and with the social media, I think we get this overabsorption of like just, just too much stuff. It's, it's like the SEMA show in your pocket. And so by the time you go to a, a local car meet and you see something that you would normally really appreciate, you're like, nah, yeah, go look this dude up online and look what this guy's doing. And it kind of, it, it kind of, because it's so easily accessible for all of us, it, it seems to like lower the bar of what's capable and people don't really appreciate the time and effort that's put into it. Well, but, that's the reason why I'm challenged to uh, be different from, you know, basic photography or basic people who are, you know, posting on social media, my photographs have to look totally different because you can just go on social media and see that car. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the aspect of having something that's unique that stands out there is, it it makes a difference between somebody, uh, you know, saving it, use it for their screensaver or just, and when, when I shoot a car when I'm I'm with, you know, one of my boys and, you know, some, whoever's going to be with me and when I shoot a car or something like that, uh, I make sure that uh, that's all, all, you know, a wall hanger. I mean, when I look at a car and I envision what I want and how I'm going to photograph it, I imagine it in your living room above your sofa, being proud of what you built and saying, "Hey, you know, sure. Alex, Alex took that picture." That's what I envision in every single photograph I take. No, I mean. Uh... It's it's important it's important to be that committed. And I think when you see people that committed to a specific trade that they do or or art that they're committed to, I think I think it shows in their work. So, um, well, we've been at it for a little bit, man. Uh, I know you got a lot of stuff to get going on and get doing. Anything you want to leave us with on the podcast before we roll out? No, I I think uh, you know, thank you to the industry, you know, and uh, this is this is good, and I think there's a lot more that's going to come. 
Um, it's going to be good for the industry. It's going to be good for uh, uh, everybody. You know, it doesn't matter if you own a inexpensive Volkswagen or a high dollar Volkswagen, as long as we're still in the industry and uh, you know we care for our cars and love our cars. You know, I think lastly, you know, I, I have to you know say thank you to my wife and my kids because. A lot of those Saturdays, you know, they're they're in sports, and my wife has double duty because I'm shooting something, or you know, and uh, like I said, most of my photo shoots are not done around my my neighborhood. I, I go out, so I have to leave. I leave the neighborhood like today, you know, I'm not home anymore. I'm here in Vegas, right? So, just to shoot a car, and um, you know, I, I th- thank them. And then all my friends from Miguel BA, who's you know a, a member also, and you know Nelson and Robert and Ray and. You know, uh, my boy PR and down in uh, San Diego and Bob Daniels, all my really good friends. And, uh, of course, I can never go without thinking of uh, my boy Eddie Corroso from San Diego, who's passed away. But he was the, you know, he was the godfather of uh, Volkswagens down in uh, San Diego with his uh, uh, 47. And he has a couple other Volkswagens uh, that are still stored away that his wife has put away for his kids. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate everything you're doing for the scene, man, and, and doing and doing what you're doing. I'm sure we're gonna have you back on the podcast again. We'll be seeing you early in the morning for a photo shoot. And, yeah, and uh, uh, next year when something comes out, uh, we'll be back on this podcast. Oh, we will be back on this podcast to talk about big things that are hitting the VW scene. Alex, man, thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, we'll check you later. Thank you. <laughs> All right. If you guys like this podcast, go to your Apple Podcast app, click on the bottom and give us a five-star review. Don't forget, if you give us a five-star review, we'll go ahead and give you a shout-out on the podcast. Like today, I'm giving a shout-out to 57 Oval. He says, great podcast. Really enjoying the podcast. Great to hear elements of the VW community I otherwise wouldn't know about. Can't wait to get caught up on back episodes. Since this is episode number 45, you got a long way to go. About a week worth of listening to catch up on the podcast. But you know what? Totally worth it. And start at the beginning because they get better as they go on. Either way, friends, Glad you guys liked it. Don't forget to review us, rate us. Also, you can support us by going to letstalkdubs.com and clicking on the store and buying some merch. Thanks, guys. And until next week, later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a